It's Wednesday at noon, and you know what that means. It's time for the Economic Warrior. My money. Money. I get money from you. Money in the bank. Young money. Money, 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 money. It's the rich man's world. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. World-renowned financial advisor and best-selling author Barry James Dyke will arm you with the truth. This is The Economic Warrior. Please note, the opinions expressed on this show are of the individuals who speak them, and not necessarily of Portsmouth Community Radio, its members, or board of trustees. And good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my, I'm Barry James Dyke. Uh, here in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, with uh, my sidekick Will Pierce and handsome uh, Phil Clogger, our engineer, and uh, That's we, me. yeah, and uh, we have a wonderful show uh, for you today. We have Scott Smith uh, from Cerulean Associates in Boston, and we're going to talk about how, um, despite uh, what Wall Street wants us to gamble away our, uh, our money, um, that actually most people, roughly seventy-seven percent of the population, wants to keep it safe and protected from downside risk. So anyhow, we're great to have you here and. Uh, great to see uh, research because I, as you know, uh, well, in any event, which I like, I'm a doubting Thomas the first order, so I like to hear the facts. And um, okay. you know, so any event, so I know who Cerulli is, okay, but but can you please tell me about the background of Cerulli, who you guys are? I know you're down down Boylston Street, downtown Boston, but sure. but but the background of the company and then your background, so people know you're qualified sure. to speak of what you're talking about. Yeah, we started off as a research uh, and consulting company, and we, we, that's our business today. It's over 20 years in the industry. Um, what we do is we work with um, the world's largest asset managers, wealth managers, kind of anyone who helps investors invest in kind of anything in the world um, and try and help them you know, fine-tune their businesses just a little bit. You know, Most of the firms we work with are doing a pretty darn good job, but what we're trying to do is just give them that little bit of an edge. And what my job is, is itself is to work with um, end investors and see what their preferences are, how they want to interact with people, and what their their needs, goals, and desires really are. Yeah, and so and so, and how long have you been with Cerulli, uh, Scott? I've been there just over twelve years. I started in the industry and in, back in nineteen ninety six, so I'm just over twenty years in the industry overall, and I've been doing this for about uh, just a dozen years now. Yeah, yeah, and you used to work with Putnam years ago, am I correct? Yeah, I was there uh, back in the day when it was the, the hottest property in the world. There was a hundred calls waiting, and my my first job was to. Uh, Hop on the hop on the phone and uh, take messages and tell people to call them back later because I wasn't licensed to give them any advice at that time. <laughs> yeah, now now Putnam, no, I think they're, they're since old. They were they were owned by Marsh McLennan, I think at, the, at that point, and then uh, I think they, they were owned by maybe Power Corporation, which is I think yep. owns Great West Life or whatever. I I, I can't remember so, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's been some merger and acquisition acquisition business over the last couple of years. I think Marsh wanted to uh, focus on their insurance businesses and kind of uh, gave a. Uh, Power the op- opportunity to um, move into that space in a bigger way. Okay, so so Scott, you you read my book uh, by the way, and uh, and as I say, I'm doing a, a reversion of 2.0. And I, uh, but what really kind of um, sparked my interest in the reason for this whole start of this whole conversation is that you came out with a with a re, with a research project last uh, month, which just blew me away. Which essentially says that. Um, uh, you know, most investors today, and we consider most investors would be building 401ks and IRAs, mm-hmm. uh, on, which I would think would be a big chunk of Cerulli's business, um, that um, roughly uh, 77% of the uh, of the people surveyed uh, want to have uh, downside protection on their investment 
versus additional risk. You, you, am I correct in, in, in saying that? Yep, that's a good, that's a good summarization of it. And I think the challenge we have here is right is that you know there people are only have so much to save and they don't want to take a lot of risk with it. But the problem is you know at least for you know the the middle chunk of their their savings period we need to we also need to grow those assets. So I think it's a balance of wanting that downside protection and still wanting you know I think you talked about earlier was that you know people were getting rich in the stock market they need some of that equity market exposure if they want to you know reach those retirement savings goals. You know, I think you've probably talked about this in the past. It's just, you know, there's, I think it's 70% of Americans have less than $100,000 saved overall. So getting those people, you know, getting those people in addition to kind of the next two or three tiers of people who have, you know, 250 to 500, 500 to a million, to a, a level of assets that can support a retirement income is the real challenge for us when they don't want that downside exposure. Yeah, and this is, now, the thing is also amazes me, uh, uh, Scott, and this, You've been doing the service survey with Phoenix now. What's what's your relationship with Phoenix? Is that kind of like one of your contractors, Phoenix? Uh, they're a they're a they're, they're a partner of ours. They've been doing we've been doing this for about ten years or so. Where they they have their own surveys, um, they use for their clients, and then they license them out to us to uh, you know interpret it and share with our clients in our, in our ways. So what amazes me, Scott, this is not a new phenomenon. Then so uh, so uh, and the, and the report you sent me on the re- mm-hmm. U.S. retail thing. People, you know, in, in in 2013, people want to have really uh, the same attitude. I mean, it's it's been pretty consistent for the past five, six years. Am I correct? Oh, it, it's been consistent, you know, almost for the, the entirety of, you know, um, you know, the entirety of going back to 10 years of been looking at this kind of thing, is that people are very worried about kind of losing their ground, you know, losing their stake, but, but they're also kind of, you know, always tempted by growing their assets and kind of this fear of missing out. You know, you still hear, you know, Despite people worried about the downside, they're still worried about you know why are my assets growing as fast as the stock market overall, uh, and those kind of things as well. So it's 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 riding that fine line between you know growing those assets at a at a rapid clip and you know huge you know downside protection uh, as a as a as a driving factor. So it, it's tough for people to kind of you know it's a it's a knife edge decision right of how much risk you want to take or, or how much what asset level do you need to get to to create a retirement income stream that is you know comfortable for you and i think it's a real challenge for a lot of americans right now scott this is not, and how big was uh you know uh, the the sample of phoenix i mean it's pretty credible uh oh yeah we, we bang out bang out about eight thousand responses per year on these surveys okay so it's it's very scientifically pretty accurate i mean mm-hmm. you know you know within a you know plus or minus or something yeah eight thousand a year and it comes out you know five six years in a row and start believing it after you know 30,000 people tell you the same thing okay now that's Scott okay this is because as you know you I could send you some of my other books because I've been researching this for over a decade sure um, why don't we hear any of this stuff in the mainstream media I mean this is so so what your research is saying says that people want to have I want to have some safety on my money but everyone you listen to um, says no just put it all in the market why don't we hear any of this I, I mean this is well, I think there's, I think there's different kind of facts, different ways to get there, right? And I think you know a lot of people who have, um, you know, two feet in the industry are, are believe that a diversified portfolio is the way to get there, and that you know the equity market risk is worth taking when you have a 10, 20, 30 year time horizon. Um, you look back at 2008; certainly people were down 30 percent. In most cases, they held those same stocks throughout. They're back, you know, they're well in excess of what they were in at the peak of the market in 2008. Right now. So I think there is, you know, a focus on diversification and diversified portfolios 
when you think of the wealth management industry, but certainly there are, you know, complements to that in guaranteed products as well. Yeah. So the, uh, I don't know. So you, so, but in any event, so, um, but this is the problem now because America, I don't know, what, what, what is really, uh, I, I think it's roughly, I don't know, maybe you, you, you guys have a better handle on this. Than, I think that roughly about 7% of the population has a defined benefit annuity, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and is that is that what you guys find uh, in, in private? Yeah, the, the defined benefit is certainly a, a declining segment of the market. Um, you know, firms just weren't, you know, employer plan sponsors weren't really willing to take on that risk in their portfolios. They wanted to look, you know, to, you know, make contributions to 401ks from the employer rather than trying to, you know, Manage, take on the money management aspects, um, you know, as as a core part of their uh, jobs, and in you know, and we've seen even firms that offered those kind of defined benefit pensions in the past, you know, some of those have gone out of business as well. So you don't want to be left holding the bag uh, on those. So certainly, when you're looking at a government program or something else where there's you know a very high probability of it existing deep in your retirement, that's a great program to have. But there have been, you know, struggles on those as well, where the, you know, long-term employer with a defined benefit plan has become insolvent as well. There are some insurance options there, but, you know, it's again, it's a certain balance between um, what you're promised and what you end up getting paid out if your firm is no longer there when when you look to retire. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's you know another whole another issue which uh, I could share with you at some point. But um, uh, yeah, so uh, so the defined benefit pension plan, especially an income, you know, which is really what people need in retirement and which sure. according to your, your your research this is what most people want now sure now th- this is what this has kind of stumped me um what i found there was two groups in particular those folks under 30 age 35 who are under age 30 who really want uh but they want 100 percent protection of their principal mm-hmm. and those folks who are the really wealthy over age 70 with five million or more assets they were really the two biggest um, uh, classes, of you, if you will, uh, that wanted the downside protection. Yeah, and I, I, could, I, could, I could definitely reinforce that too, right? You know, I, I'd say once you get to $5 million, you know, that is the most important thing. Like, you're there. You, you are able to create a retirement income plan that is, you know, sustainable over the long term, right? Even at a 4 or 5% redwall rate, you're going you're gonna to be comfortable no matter what. And on the, on the younger people, for those under 30, you know, I think the downside protection there is also really important. You know, and this is one of the one of the divergences I, I kind of, I guess, I have with kind of the, the overall industry opinions, is that you know when those people go into the workforce into a 401k, they're into you know entered into one of those target date funds with high equity exposure. But you know, the worry I have with the, the individual under age 30 is that you know when it comes to people that young, the real power of their investments is in making sure they keep making contributions. You know, when you look at the uh, how. A return affects the balance of someone under 30. Say they're making five, you know, it, it contributed five or ten thousand dollars a year for a couple of years. You know, the rate of return doesn't really have that much of an impact on their their balances versus you know the amount they're putting in on a monthly or annual basis. So my concern there is that you know if they have one one bad event, like the market goes down 20 or 30 percent, they see their ten thousand go down to six, you know, six thousand, seven thousand, eight thousand dollars. They could flee, you know, the long-term savings overall because they had that bad event. So I guess my my thesis there for the younger investors is maybe we should consider kind of moving them into something where they can, you know, get secure until they you know, have a stake, until they you know, until there is a significant amount of assets there, and then consider, you know, adding you know, more equity exposure to them so that we can, you know, get them comfortable and not have that uh, impact of a, a downside um, 
really scare them away from the market for the long term. Yeah. So, but this is my my point. I wrote, and I'll send you uh, if you if you read my first book, I'll, I'll be happy to send you the other two ones. I wrote a book just on target date funds, by the way. And, okay. Uh, uh, so my. Uh, I've been about as welcome into Wall Street as a skunk at a summer picnic. So, um, you know, because this they and they're growing now. I think with their how much in target date funds over a trillion now. Am I correct? Uh, that, that doesn't sound crazy to me. Yeah, that sounds about right. And they they are you know I think they're in. A, I guess we could have to do a second debate on this, but I think you know that they're you know they're certainly growing and it, and in many cases it's probably a, a better solution than they had in the past when people were putting money into employer stock as a default option instead. Certainly, but. Neither here nor there, but yeah, they're, they're definitely growing rapidly. Yeah, so I think I think it's like I don't know. It's it's, it's well, I, I kind of see you know history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes, uh, Scott. You know, sure. and I you know I've been in this business long enough where um, I when when were you in the when when did you work at Putnam? Putnam? What year did you work? Ninety six to two thousand. Okay, all right. So you remember two thousand eighty five cents in every new dollar, Scott. <laughs> uh, during the the 1999 uh, uh, 2000 bubble, the dot com bubble, 85 mm-hmm. cents of every new dollar was going into uh, tech funds. Sure. Yeah, and, and so and then everyone got crushed. <laughs> yep, and, and I would definitely not recommend that as a long term portfolio allocation. Um, you know, certainly the fear of missing out, and you know, I saw 100 percent return last year. I'm going to get 100 percent return this year. Um, you know, definitely isn't the way to invest. Um, and despite, you know, everyone's, you know, I think every perspective you'll see will tell you that, uh, you know, previous returns are no indication of future returns. But uh, certainly there's a lot of people who are going to ignore that and pick, you know, last year last year's biggest returner as their expectation of being this year's biggest returner. You know, when in fact probably, you know, the one that's been out of favor for a couple of years is probably likely to give you a slightly enhanced return compared to the one that's been, you know, knocking the cover off the ball for two or three years in a row. Um you, uh, but one of the problems I have, and this is, I don't know if, it, if it's, well, I think it, it, it is really important, is that I don't know how Cerulli uh, uh, teaches this or advises people on this, but there's been a really, a, uh, I call it a, um, it's a mess. In other words, there's been no differentiation between savings, Scott, and investing. And, and the whole thing, okay. I think you really have to save before you invest. But now okay. I think this, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think everything we hear from, from Wall Street, and this includes the giant asset managers. You have to put it all into the market. And mm-hmm. uh, is, would you is that kind of the sentiment you, we see in, in today's U.S. financial system? I mean, am, am, am I wrong? Well, I guess like I, I guess where do you where does saving become investing for you? You know, I, I certainly agree that you want to have a substantial you know six to twelve month uh, you know you know uh, stake that's you know quite stable and unlikely to have any downturn to it. Uh, at the same time, you know, I think to to achieve your retirement goals over the long term, you're going to need some equity market exposure, and that's going to have to play into the, you know, the, the I don't know where you where you start beginning that saving thing. So I certainly want people to have, you know, a a a buffer that's quite significant in, at times, as well as you know a diversified portfolio. But I think to you know to get to the levels they need to create a retirement income stream, I think you need equity market exposure there. So I guess where does saving become investing in, in your definition? Yeah. So yeah, I would agree. You know, six you know months, you know, to twelve months in, in cash for because this is when you have cash access, then you can take advantage of opportunities. Otherwise, you have to react mm-hmm. and you know get high interest loans and so forth. Um, sure. Now, let me ask you a question: Does really not just advise uh, U.S. asset managers, but also outside the country, like Australia or Canada or the U.K.? Yeah, we have we have an office in uh, Singapore and one in London, so we work with firms across the globe. Yes. 
so so what we're talking about now has there been similar studies because um, I've researched it, uh, the, what do they call it in the U.S. Uh, U.K. the Financial Conduct Authority, mm-hmm. and then um, the uh, Australia they call it the superannuation. I I don't know if you're familiar with the superannuation pro- mm-hmm. annuitization annuitization pro- thing. Yeah. In the Canada they uh, they have the RSVP, which is similar to our four hundred one k. Is it is the sentiment? Somewhat the same, Scott. On this uh, across the world is as yeah. We haven't we haven't done the detailed investor studies to this level, but we we find a lot of the same things there. And a lot of the in a lot of these markets, they're they're used to more more like savings accounts. And I would I would say that the American uh, financial services system has been more open to public investment. You know, getting people more involved in whether it's through mutual funds or ETFs or any of the other vehicles. I think that's become more uh, you know more of a thing. Um, and I think the U.S. equity market still accounts for you know, more than half of all world uh, equities. Um, so it's certainly you know more front and center in the U.S. Whereas you know across the globe you know you have an emerging equity market exposure in in places like China and India where that's not the norm. You know looking backward. Okay, okay Scott, I have a, I have a question for you. And you've read my book Guaranteed Income, and, and I'm always obviously very um, uh, positive on annuities and. and it, and again, I'm not that annuities the end all and be all because the mm-hmm. best investment is always going to be in yourself. It's, it's mm-hmm. not going to be any financial instrument, any stock, or whatever. But we still need a place to save. And um, now this is what, what amazes me. Okay, so you have all this research saying that people really want to save their money and put it in a safe place. But the, on your on your uh, I think it's on page seven in, in your uh, report it says. But the positive influence of uh, annuities is, is very kind of low. So on one hand, you have people saying, yeah, I really like this idea of protecting my money. But on the other hand, um, people don't have a very positive um, uh, opinion of annuities. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think people really love the features and benefits of annuities. But in, but in some terms, they've gotten a bad rap, too. You know, There's been some personal finance people who have really come out against them. Um, and they, you know, I, I think they serve a very important purpose. But there have been people who have used them inappropriately, right? You look at people who are who are selling them based on, you know, how much commission can I get, or you know, if yeah. there's a churning opportunity. And there, you know, certainly there's bad apples in every bunch when it comes to advisors. So I think that's one element. And when I look at annuities, you know, kind of the features that are challenging to people, I think there's an issues of cost, um, confusion, and control, right? You know, some of the bad rap annuities have gotten as some were overpriced in the past, potentially, um, whether it was the investment options or the uh, riders that were included in there that may have been extra expensive. So I think that's something that people have to understand um, when it comes to confusion. You know, I th- you've probably held on to an annuity prospectus that's been 50, 60, 70 pages of things that <laughs> the average investor would not understand, and I have struggled to myself. Um, and when it comes to control, you know, the ultimate, you know, in the last you know, probably five or t- you know, almost 10 years, right? You know, they started having these guaranteed minimum withdrawal benefits. I think yeah. those have been a breakthrough um, because, you know, when you, when you think of annuitizing a benefit altogether. People are just very reluctant to say, "Here's my million dollars, and in return, you're going to give me fifty thousand dollars a year for the rest of my life." Yeah. So I think that turning over to control the annuity, you know, actually pulling the trigger on annuitization, I think those rates are tremendously low. If I, you know, back back last time I looked at it, it was like single digits of percentage of people who actually went through and fully annuitized it and turned over that money for a, for a, a never-ending income stream, just because you know taking that money out of my pocket and giving it to the annuity company and saying, "All right, start sending me a check," is just too much people. 
for people to be like, oh, I'm losing so much control. I, I can't go through with it. Well, yeah, and it, it, uh, the, the irony of the whole thing is, is that, and I speak from the industry as uh, mm-hmm. the, um, and I'm a, I'm a registered investment advisor. I have been full disclosure. I just loves everything, and uh, I've been doing this for over thirty odd years. Sure. Um, one of the uh, the fiduciary uh, rule, which when was that? It was repealed? Was it repealed this year? I think it was. The yeah. uh, um, and uh, about and this is you know you're in Boston, so Elizabeth, Senator Elizabeth Warren, okay. Essentially, uh, she did all these reports. They're online, so I'm not making this up. Said all this stuff so horrible, and it was kind of a, a kind of a populist uprising. Um, but it, it, you see a lot of just how can I put? It? Yeah, I'll, I'll say it, and it's not you, but there's a lot of hypocrisy in that. Um, you know, Elizabeth Warren, who whose net worth, if you go to OpenSecrets.org, and you can anyone can do this. Um, mm-hmm. She has to disclose her financial net worth. She has a net worth. Her and her law school husband have about roughly seven million dollar net worth. And roughly about $4 million, uh, Scott, is in annuities. And uh, they're with Kraft. And, um, and, and again, so people don't believe me, go to OpenSecrets.org. And, uh, but, so you have a lot of people who saying they're really bad, but then I said, holy moly, she wants to have guarantees too. So um, this is why I wrote the book Guaranteed Income, Scott, mm-hmm. um, because what you hear from the industry um, and, and, and what they do for themselves are two different things. I, is that connect with Cerulean at all? Do you see this? Am I crazy, or what do you think? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to call you crazy in your own show, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. You can, okay? <laughs> no, no, but I, I think it's a matter of, and I think, you, you know, you, you called it out, and I think when you look at, you know, TIAA, that's probably, you know, that's a high-quality provider, and I think that's the importance of people like yourselves who are pointing people towards what they feel are the best-quality providers. And when I, when I think of annuities, I think there are great ones, there are mediocre ones, and there are ones that are not great. And the problem is there are there's plenty of money in the ones that are not so great from a high fee perspective or yeah. from a rider perspective. So I think differentiating between them and helping people pick the right ones is the most important part. And you know the unfortunate part is that the, you know there are some advisors throughout history who have you know picked one with the highest payout and are only going to sell that one. And you know when you're holding the hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? And it's going to yeah. solve all your problems. So I think it it comes down to finding the right advisor to get you into the right product that matches your needs. And whether that's 100% annuities or 50% annuities or it's 100%, you know, if you are the kind of person that, that wants that unlimited upside and aren't worried about downside, sure, you're 100% ETFs and stocks. So I think there's a whole continuum there. And annuities are right for some people, but I just, you know, I can't, you know, there's probably, there's pro- you want to stay away from that advisor who, you know, you know, whatever your problem is, it's this one product. And I think that's across the board, right? It yeah. comes down to what serves client needs. And I think... You know, when you look at a family with $5 million you know, in investable assets, by all means, that should be insured because, you know, you, you are, you've got to where you need to be. And some people are there already and some people aren't. So and I think it comes down, you know, high-quality product, you know, chosen to serve investor needs. By all means, it could be an annuity. It could be something else. So I guess we're agnostic as to what you end up using as long as it's high-quality and it meets your needs. How, how important is the uh, – and, and you, I don't know how uh, – uh, you are Scott. Uh, uh, how old you are? Well, but anyway, so so much of this stuff is going online right now, and um, I, and they're all pushing it down. I, I deal with these companies as well, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, I love the internet. Believe me, uh, I've sold my books in twenty three countries because of the internet. I, so I love the internet. And I've sold mm-hmm. thirty two thousand copies. So I love the internet. But the problem with the internet is people still need to have someone. Um, 
who really helps them, loves and cares about them, and so forth. Uh, mm-hmm. What what does Cerule find the importance of overall advisor in these relationships? And, and uh, what 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 does Cerule find? Yeah, um, I think over the past five years, maybe even ten years, right? We've been hearing all about these robo advisors that are going to come and make every every traditional advisor unemployed. And I think over the last three years, we found that, that is simply not the case. Um, there are, you know, what we found is that these kind of digital advice platforms, as we call them, are very much in the, you know, they're having great success in helping people who were self-directed before get out of the business of running their own accounts. So yeah. the, the largest of these digital platforms we've seen, are, you know, with Schwab and with Vanguard, and that's mostly people who are self-directed on the brokerage platform, investing their own money. You know, they're converting over to these systems because they're essentially doing what they were doing for themselves, but doing it better and doing it regularly. And you know, it's something you don't have to worry about anymore. Um, when it comes to the person, you know, the you know the, the other you know, 65, 70 percent of the market, people want help. They want to sit down and they want people to help them through it. You know, like we talked about. You know, you open up any investment. You know, you, you think about any investment. You've got 50 pages of disclosure. You don't know how it's going to fit into your overall financial plan, and people want that help. You know, there's like 30% who want to totally fully outsource it to a, uh, an RIA or, or a broker-dealer advisor or hopefully an investment advisor of some yeah. kind. Um, and, you know, they don't want to get into it. You know, they don't change their own oil. They don't want to handle their own portfolios. They want to be able to trust someone. So, you know, I think when we think about these technology platforms, the idea here, and I think that the most, their most important impact is helping advisors more be more efficient at helping clients manage their financial lives moving forward. I think... Most advisors, I think we we served in our last survey, have said you know they spend 20 percent of their time kind of doing portfolio management, trading, and stuff like that. Hopefully, that we can get that down to two or three percent through automation to give advisors more time to sit in front of clients, to hear about their wants and needs, and to really understand them. You know, I think we think about the uh, you know a risk tolerance questionnaire, and one of these you know digital platforms will have seven questions. They'll say, if your portfolio went down twenty percent, what would you do? Uh. Uh, how long <laughs> till you need to use this money? And I think that those are those are fine, I guess, as if you're going to, you know, take a large-scale approach to it. But it's not until you, you know, you, like you have a client relationship you know, where you sit down with them and you understand exactly what they mean by all these things and how they do react when things happen. And you know, I would, I think, the importance and the ability for traditional financial advisors to have an impact moving forward is just expanding. People really want this. They're not being replaced by technology. I think it's their their services are going to be enhanced by technology because they no longer have to focus on things that are waste of their time. They can actually spend the time making difference in clients' lives. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more because you know I read this stuff and I study this stuff every day, and I'm just really f- from the um, uh, you know and it, and I'm saying and I've you know written a bunch of books and 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 talked a bunch of places and so forth and I a bunch of you know I've worked with you know public companies and stuff like that, and I'm saying man this stuff is complicated for me. How is it? How is it for a guy who's executive at a corporation or a small business owner? I mean, it's just like if I'm having a hard time. I, and Scott, how long have you been in this business? Like twenty years. Twenty years. I mean, do you understand it all? I don't. No. <laughs> nope. I, I don't. And I, and I think it's the important part is admitting what you don't understand and looking for help there because there are resources there, whether they're online or in person for yourself. So kind of mer- recognizing where you're where you are, you know, at least close to an expert and being able to uh, excel at that and then being able to admit when you don't have, you know, when you don't know exactly what's going on and you can look for help. Um, now, 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 Will Pierce, he's my sidekick here. Did you have, did you have a, uh, a point you, about the blueprint? Uh, Will is my, uh, my alter ego here, uh, Scott. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
I think he I had could a say qu- something in support of okay. Senator Elizabeth Warren. Okay, okay. But, but oh, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll leave that to oh, some other time. That's another time. Okay, but no, because I, you know, I like your. Oh, go ahead. Um, well, uh, uh, the blueprint. Uh, um, is that part of your company? That blueprint uh, program? No, that was just that's another online. That's just an online provider that we thought was interesting. We wanted to take a look at. Hmm. So, so uh, in the in the old days um, of defined benefit, uh, uh, you know, retirement funds, um, people uh, would work at a company for like forty years, and then they then they'd uh, have a, a, a very dependable um, a benefit package, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, how do you uh, so? What you're advising um, your clients or big companies that uh, sort of put together um, portfolios for uh, for people to 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 mimic uh, these old um, defined benefit plans? Is that right? Um, I mean, or basically, people do want uh, some security with their um, uh, with their investments. They don't want the downside risk, as as we're talking about. So, um, how do you put together these uh, these plans for people? So I think, you know, there is, you know, I think that comes down to each investor, right? And, you know, as we talked about throughout this thing, people are looking for that, you know, they want protection, but they also need to grow their portfolios. And, you know, as Barry was saying, you know, there's you know, certain costs and benefits of target date funds. Um, but, you know, for the investor who is really just looking to you know, have that super downside protection, they have, you know, there are fixed income options. There are uh, these uh, stable value funds that are often available within their 401k plans. But, you know, the compound growth rate on those is, you know, I think uh, the point that Larry's made as well is that with interest rates where they are, you know, you're looking at 2 3 4% growth, and it's going to be take a, a whole lot of saving to get you to a point where that's going to create a retirement income stream that's, you know. Oh, okay, so, so these slower um, uh, funds that, that build up, uh, I mean, these are bond funds? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. something. Yeah, yeah there's, you could have bond funds, but there's no guarantee of principal with a bond fund. But with a, with a GIC or a, a stable value fund, there's a guarantee of principal and then some interest. But lo, in low interest rates, so you don't, you're not going to get that much yield. So where do you get this guarantee of, uh, of uh, principal? There's a variety of in, investment options. Well, and well, then. Well, well primar- primarily, you, you're getting this from insurance companies, and I don't know if you mm-hmm. looked in the back of the uh, uh, the book, uh, Scott, but actually, uh, you know who had uh, uh, 75% of their money in uh, fixed annuities uh, during the uh, 2008 financial crisis, uh, Scott? I don't know if you looked in the back of the book. I, I, I know there was a lot of people holding a lot of annuities. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so essentially the Federal Reserve. So the Federal Reserve, sure. in, in 2008, and I have the audit, and it's, it's the Deloitte audit, okay, which verifies it. Essentially, um, the Federal Reserve itself had 75% or about $3.2 billion of their money in uh, fixed annuities. And, and they really essentially they glided through the, uh, the financial crisis. But going back to annuities, it was the question um, uh, that Will had is that they're essentially offered by uh, insurance companies. Cause, and uh, insurance companies are very strict, well-regulated companies for the most part. And uh, to my knowledge, I don't think one has gone – under in, in North America in the past hundred years, I mean, there has been some liquidations, okay, but mm-hmm. uh, but there hasn't been any, to my knowledge, of any of these companies going under. I mean, uh, I, well, they, they have a fund backing them up. Yeah, well, the the biggest one was actually going back to uh, first executive life. I don't know if you remember that one, um, uh, Scott. There was uh, there was there was the big uh, executive life of California. 
I think that was may have been before my time or outside my realm. Okay, yeah. Just, so that was that was the largest collapse. Okay, uh, Executive Life in California, which is run by a guy by the name of Fred Marr, if you will. He was actually ran a mutual fund, but he essentially stuffed Executive Life policies with uh, junk bonds, and then they ended up going under. Uh, but um, uh, it took a while, but not one policyholder lost any of their money. Um, I mean, they may have taken a while, but they didn't uh, lose any of their money. Oh, so they didn't lose their principal. They didn't lose their principal. So my point is that even people with indexing, um, do you think there's a, uh, and actually, I don't know if it's a competitor, um, uh, there was a study done by, um, and I think they're, they're uh, uh, Nixisis. Is that how you say it? Is that a client of yours? or you're familiar? Nixisis. Nixisis, is that how you say it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nixisis did a study, and it was done within the past year, and if you've seen this, Scott, that uh, – 71 or 71 percent of the population thought if they had their money uh, in indexing fund an index fund that that was safer and and, and have you seen that uh, piece of- I, I didn't I didn't see that particular one but I, I you know it, it, I, nothing can surprise me when it comes to the American consumer <laughs> so the whole thing is is that yeah so people think if they had their money into indexes which would be a index fund like an s p 500 or ETF sure. of some sort that because they're getting lower costs, granted, there's lower management fees and so forth, and I would agree with, but it doesn't offer you any guaranteed protection, does it? No, no, no. And that, you know, it's all about, you know, those are going to be, you know, exposed to the index itself, and however the overall market performs is what you're going to get in those things. Um, but again, I think it, it's, you know, for the American consumer, that's that's where the, you know, the importance of, of you know, investment advisors comes in, is to helping them get through that. You know, we... You know, the, the problem, you know, one of the problems we have with, you know, the uh, transformation of defined benefit plans and defined contribution plans like a 401k is that people are now expected to kind of handle this stuff all them by themselves and become kind of de facto experts on, you know, what their asset allocation should look like over a 20-year time horizon. And I think, you know, the target aid funds have stepped in there as kind of a, a, a Band-Aid to try and, you know, get them um, – halfway there at least, but you know, I, I fully agree with you that people just don't understand all these investment options and no one's going to spend the time going through his prospectus or you know, figuring out modern portfolio theory to try and optimize their portfolio when you know, they're worried about getting their kids to the soccer game. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Will's got a question for you, Scott, I think. Sure. So uh, the Cerulli study uh, asked people um, how much of uh, a concern is it of yours to pass on uh, your wealth to, to your um, – uh, to your loved ones, um, it seems like a lot of the investments are uh, you're kind of gambling. Uh, how long am I going to live? You know, if, if you're getting an annuity, uh, but 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 a lot of your respondents, or I don't know, maybe a small percentage of them, uh, that was a concern of theirs, uh, passing on their wealth. That's a, that's a great question. How many people really want to con- pass on part of it? Uh, their retirement plan to uh, their heirs? Is, is there? Yeah, that's you know. We, that's a great we, question. We kind of when we when we ask people about their most important goal, that's you know that registers for about five percent of overall investors, and that's usually those with more than a million dollars are going to come up with that kind of response. You know, for for the for the vast amount of investors you know that we survey, you know, our target market is from you know probably hundred thousand up to up to you know five million in assets is kind of the core survey respondent. You know, they you know they have two main issues, right? You know, making sure they have enough money to live in retirement and protecting their current levels of wealth. So I think that's, you know, what you have to think about is you know, just making sure I have enough for me um, and my, you know, my, my spouse to get there. And 
because people just don't have a tremendous amount of assets, you know, it, it's tough to get there. I think, you know, I guess, you know, it comes down to what do you need to live on, you know, when, um, when you get to age 65 or something like that. You know, I, I said a number earlier, you know, with a 5% withdrawal rate, if you have a million dollars, which is, you know, beyond the expectation for most people, a million dollars translates to about $50,000 a year in income. Um, and, you know, if you walk in you know, and you think of yourself as a millionaire and you say, well, I have to live on $50,000 a year for the rest of my life, that's, that's tough for some people. Um, you know, is it $2 million? So you get that $100,000 a year break point. So I think, you know, save, having have money to pass on for heirs is, is you know, a great concept and you know, something people would like to do. But for most, it's just worrying about making sure I can make it to 85 without running out of money and, and certainly there's value in the annuities there. Yeah. How does Social Security uh, factor into these uh, well, the, the equations? It, w- it would not. Under, <coughs> I could jump in there. It, Social Security really wouldn't uh, be effective at all in, in terms of their pension. Uh, now, if you're government employees, it's, it's another situation, okay, because there is offsets, okay. But for 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 the vast majority, uh, the withdrawal rate out of a 401k or an IRA is not going to make a difference one way or another. So you're saying, Scott, that so roughly 95 percent of the population really. The most important thing about a retirement plan is to provide an income stream. Is, is that correct? Yeah, but you know, there, there's you know decisions you have to make there, and you know certainly they they want to provide for themselves a retirement, um, but to have that kind of you know the, the flexibility and control is a big issue for people as well, and I think that's where you, you get the some reluctance on the adoption of annuities. Okay, so but that so but anyway, so that's so and and again, so ninety five percent of the folks really, and this has been my whole argument. I'm not um, saying that you know. Uh, it would be neat if they could be passed on to the next generation, but really the purpose of retirement plans is, is to require retirement income streams. It's really not for uh, to build wealth, although some people uh, um, do do that, um, um, sure. which is another could be another show into itself. And uh, But now, are you at Cerulli, and, and I'll be happy when I do this uh, because I, I'd like to put some of your, uh, your research in, in my next uh, book. Um, uh, are you aware that how much the corporations are, are using annuities now to de-risk their pension plans, Scott? Are you aware of that? I mean, at all? Yeah, that, that's something we cover. It's not my 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 focus, but we have an institutional team that kind of um, sizes those opportunities and looks at that as as people look to move um, from the defined benefit, uh, you know, as an ongoing obligation as to one they're trying to de-risk and, and, and exit that market. Oh, so you got so if you if you had that guy, I'd really be interested in talking to him or her, or whatever. The, if you had a team, because because sure. uh, I've been researching this and uh, it's it's real big in the U.S., but it's even much bigger in the U.K. So um, I'll give you a great example. You're in Boston. We uh, Raytheon. Uh, mm-hmm. where, where are their headquarters in Lexington? I think. I think so. Yeah. And I think Lexington will. Uh, yeah, somewhere down there. Yeah. Uh, Lexington, Burlington, that area. I forget where it is. Um, they just bought an annuity this past, uh, I don't know, three, four months ago this summer for like $925 uh, million to essentially take care over their pension risk. So that's mm-hmm. a local company. Um, another one would be um, actually, uh, it's my showing my age, but there was actually another company I used to do business with uh, uh, in North Reading. He just bought an annuity for $150 million. So what you're, we're seeing is not as it's good for individuals, but what I've seen. Um, that companies abroad like um, <clears throat> like British Aerospace or BMW or Rolls-Royce or uh, Bentley Automobiles are actually buying annuities for their pension plans. So mm-hmm. so I want to bring that research in. Um, but, uh, so it yeah, so really co- covers that as well then, huh? 
Yeah, and, and uh, for those firms, I think they just want to you know exit exit the risk market. You know, they they're not in the, in the business of managing money. Um, and you know, let's say it's you know nine hundred fifty million dollars to get out from underneath their their pension obligations. And I think the real risk for them is you know if equity markets were great and they made the right bets, it might have only cost them five hundred million to pay that stuff out. But if they you know they didn't they, they made the wrong calls, it could have cost them one point five you know billion. So I think they just want to say like here's the number. If we get out of this now, we don't have any more risk, and you know we, we can keep our obligations to our former employees, but not need to be you know part of this you know playing this. Uh, Asset allocation game anymore? Yeah. So yeah. So, but I'm saying if you have companies like sophisticated, like Raytheon doing it, and and uh, or FedEx did one for you know six point two billion uh, the, in May, I think it was the biggest one in the U.S. this year. Uh, mm-hmm. If they're saying if, if FedEx can't figure this out, or Raytheon can't figure it out, how is the regular um, uh, person who's as I say taking their the kid to soccer or trying to educate mm-hmm. their family, whatever, how are they going to figure it out? So that's kind of my whole thing. So, sure. um, Scott. We're so uh, grateful that you've been on the show. How can people find out more about you, or how can they contact you? Yep, yeah. Um, feel free to take a look at our website, cerulli.com, at C-E-R-U-L-L-I.com. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm available there, and, uh, you know, reach out anytime. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And I also included your uh, your email address in case anyone had questions for you. And this is great, Scott, because I'm actually going to – I have some uh, – actually some uh, some pretty uh, – big clients who, <laughs> who I'd like to pass this interview on to. So uh, thank you so much for your uh, great, great empirical research. Thank you. Right, great. Talk thank to you guys you. anytime. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Bye now. And keep on pushing back the frontiers of ignorance. The Economic Warrior will return next week or in two weeks. In two weeks, yeah. This has been The Economic Warrior with your host, Barry James Dyke. Broadcast live at WSCA Portsmouth Community Radio. Engineered by Phil Kleiger. If you have any questions about today's show or need an ally in conquering the battleground of finance, contact the warrior himself at barryjamesdyke.com. Who are the warriors?